culture was taught in the church spaces you're in, I'm assuming. Um, mm -hmm. So, so talk about that a little. It was there. Was it also in the homeschool group? I don't know if your homeschool mm -hmm. group was connected to the church as they often are. Um, but yeah, just t what were you taught? What was the the education you got kind of about sex and sex mm -hmm. prevention or whatever? I think there were like uh, kind of two avenues that I was taught it. There was sort of the really explicit, like actual, like education and indoctrination. And then I think there was also kind of the culture that was around it. So in terms of like the direct education, there are a couple of memories that I have. Um, the first memory is of going to something called Youthquake Live here in Jacksonville. Oh yeah, I um, You know what that is, yeah. So Youthquake yeah. Live was like this, uh, I think it was monthly. It was almost like a mini conference for like, I don't know, people ages like 12 to 18 or something like that. Um, and so it was lots of uh, big production and there were skits and lots of music. And, um, you know, I probably remember it being a lot larger than it actually was, but it felt like, you know, there are thousands of other young adults there or not young adults, I guess they were literally kids. Um, and so one of them that I went to was a True Love Waits uh, theme. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm pretty sure I still have it. I think I kept it just out of uh, posterity. I wrote on this little red card, you know, I vow to God to be pure until I'm married. And then I signed it with my little, you know, 12 or 13 year old signature. So that's one memory that I have. Um, the other memory that I have uh, about kind of the direct um, education about it was within uh, kind of the small groups at my church. Uh, they often kind of touched on this idea of purity and how like you um, shouldn't have sex, yes, but there was like definitely more to it. There was, uh, you shouldn't wear a lot of makeup and you shouldn't wear, you know, short skirts. And there was always a real push for girls to be mo modest and uh, not expose themselves and not be provocative. And, like, thinking back, like, how creepy is it that I was taught that when I was, like, 13 years old? Yeah. Like, so, don't, stop sexualizing a kid. Yeah. Yes. So, I don't know if you, at one of those, this happened to you, but my church took a group of us girls. It was, like, between the ages of, like, 10 and 16. Like, it was, like, a range here, because, like, 10-year-olds, like, they don't know what they're agreeing to. Like, when you're, like, 12, you don't know what you're agreeing to when you say you're not going to have sex to you. Like, you just don't. Right? Um, but they took us to this thing, and it was Secret Keeper Girl. And, you know, the idea was you were going to keep your secret, like, you know, be modest and don't have sex. Like, mm -hmm. that was the thing. And they gave us these rules while they did this modest fashion show. So they had, you know, these girls, like, walking up and down, like, in modest clothing. And they gave these rules, like, if you put your finger in that divot at the end of your neck and then you put your palm out, there shouldn't be any neckline coming below the bottom of your hand, which, if you oh, can't shit. tell, my neckline is definitely below the bottom of my hand right now. Yeah. Um, and can I would get, not say this. Can cleavage in here? Yeah, let's hold it. Yeah. <laughs> <I> almost <laughs> did that. <laughs> not be appropriate, but it would, actually. Um, Look, Austin said anything goes. <laughs> uh. But... Yeah, and it was just crap like that, that, like, you know, one, different body types, two, mm -hmm. stop sexualizing children, yeah. three, stop making people agree to crap that they don't know what they're agreeing to. 
they don't know all mm-hmm. of it. Yeah, they just don't have the full understanding of what's happening. I mean, this is all right when all of these hormones are like, you're just like, whoa, what's happening? So it's just like brand new. And they're like, oh, let me, let me take that and say it's bad, like <laughs> immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So another question that I have that I, I experienced personally. So I, I want to talk about purity culture and dating. Um, there was, for me, in purity culture, this stigma that uh, around dating that if you were dating, it had to be dating to be married. It had to. If literally, I just remember every time, like anyone was dating anyone in my like church group, it was just like, you think she's the one? And I'm we're like, what, fifteen and sixteen, and this is happening. It's like, oh my God. Like Okay, but Austin, like, I feel like you're the worst person to be talking about I this because you I did marry your person. sweetheart. I am <laughs> but like that was a whole thing mm-hmm. in the church and literally everyone, yeah. if someone broke up, they were like, Oh, shamed, ugh, whatever. And like or if you heard about someone doing something or having sex, they're like, Oh my god, you're an outcast. It's just oh mm-hmm. so like I, I just want to like talk about that like did did you feel that pressure to like anyone you're in relationship anyone you're friends with anyone anything like that just like is in your head like if I show affection to this person I have to be showing affection to this person because I want to marry them and if I'm not doing that then it's a sin and even if I do do that with the slightest mm-hmm. of wrong intention then it's also wrong uh, so, like, how, what was dating kind of painted as uh, in your church, in your faith spaces? Hmm. I mean, it was something that um, if you were going to be at all physical with your partner or a uh, person you're interested in, it had to be locked down. It had to be totally a secret. Nobody could know about it. Um, but also, like, at the same time, I feel like... I think it's different for guys and girls too because I think that toxic masculinity tells men that they can't be affectionate with each other at all and that the only way that they can be affectionate with a woman is in many ways uh, one rooted either in violence or in like sexual motivation. Mm -hmm. But I feel like in girls and as somebody who was raised a girl, your interactions are different with other girls. You are allowed to kind of be affectionate and have um, more physical touch and that kind of thing. And I think that it definitely was more muted in the communities that I was in, but um, I pretty quickly just rejected all of that and decided that I would just be affectionate with my friends, you know, regardless of who they are. Um, But I do have a memory about this as somebody who really didn't date at all in high school and is honestly chronically single um i do have memories of people thinking that i was dating somebody just because i was affectionate with them like my best friend um, in high school was a guy named jared and i would like sit on jared's lap and give him a hug and like come up and put my chin on his shoulder and like that kind of thing and that's just how we were together there was never any romantic interest between us. Um, But I have a distinct memory of this younger homeschool kid coming up to me and being like, was that your boyfriend? And I'm like, no, he's just my friend. Like, but, but you were sitting on 
what? I think I broke his brain when I was like, no. Yeah. That's just my friend. Like, yeah. No. And so I think that, and then the other kind of part of that was that um, Jared did not fit kind of that uh, traditional masculine role. He definitely embraced his feminine side a lot more. And so in some ways I felt like that gave me permission and I think gave him permission to be affectionate um, specifically with the girls that he knew. Um, and so there's definitely a lot of like homophobia wrapped up in sexism and purity culture and it's all one big awful bundle of trash. What was that like for you like as a queer person to experience purity culture? It was hard. You know, I I think that it was also around the same time that that started hitting me harder was when I was discovering my sexuality and gender. Um, and, you know, maybe <laughs> I think that there was like a hierarchy of sexual sins. Like if you had sex, you were probably redeemable. Like you could repent and, you know, become pure of heart again or whatever. Um, but like if you were gay, that was like another level. And so yeah. one of the things that I, this is probably terrible. I think that by the end of high school, I just was really done with purity culture and like homophobia and all of that because I really did not give a crap about what people thought about me. Um, that um, my debate partner uh, at the time, uh, basically people would ask me two questions. Are you guys dating or is he gay? And I would say no to both of those questions. And I would try to, I, I don't know if he ended up actually being gay, but um, I would always say, no, we're not dating. And actually I'm the gay one in the partnership. Um, for one, to stop people from harassing him, but also just to be like, you have no idea what's going on. You do not know me. Um, and probably in retrospect, like it's a miracle that I didn't get kicked out, but it did mean that I um, was able to kind of establish my position as like the gay godmother of all of the little closeted queers. And people have come to me since then and basically said, you know, you being as out as you could be in high school really changed the way that I, I viewed myself and really helped me in my journey. So, yeah. And sometimes, sometimes it was hard and sometimes it was just like really empowering to just not give a crap about what people thought. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, apathy can be a really, really good thing until you get tired and you just want yeah. something to be on your page. But that's, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. What, what was shame like for y'all growing up in purity culture? Like, and I mean, shame in relation to, like, sexuality, gender identity, sex in general, sexual feelings, you know, dating, all of it. How did shame intertwine for y'all? Because it's really intertwined for me. Mm -hmm. hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I think the, the, the hardest part about shame, in my experience, was just uh, the secretiveness of everything. Uh, it just, it forced me to be so secretive about absolutely anything that had to do with sexuality, um, any questions or anything I did, or it just boxed me in. And like, when that happens, things get 
unhealthy too. Like you don't have a way of talking to the community and talking to people. And if you do, when you talk to them, it's like, let me confess to you and like go to the booth mm -hmm. and confession. And it's just like, oh, it, yeah, it was bad for me. I mean, I honestly, like I, I'm still unpacking this shit. Like, mm -hmm. sorry if that was but like I'm still unpacking this and still working through the feelings of shame that went through this and like my own sexuality and it's like that that is nothing I would wish on this next generation or current generation um because it's just oh it's rough and it's so easy to seem like you're the villain um mm -hmm. in it. so for me it was that um that was my least favorite about it but it was very intertwined throughout everything all the shame for sure yeah i i, I agree that i'm still definitely unpacking a lot of it um and i mean one thing that i think is integral to my story is the fact that when i was um six, 17 uh, i was sexually assaulted and it was with somebody that i was in a relationship with and um, we had to be secretive about our relationship um, because of the community that we were in. And we were secret about, secretive about the time that we spent together. And so when I was sexually assaulted by him, um, I didn't actually even realize what was happening until about six months later. Mm. I didn't realize that I was assaulted. I didn't realize that it wasn't okay, that I wasn't okay with what happened. And I had to brush it off and had to be like, overly confident about it because I knew that people would blame me. Yeah. I had to act like it was, it was my choice because otherwise it would have been my fault. Mm. And that still is something that I carry with me. Um, and I think that it also was really hard uh, kind of talking about shame is that that has, was my one and only uh, sexual experience with another human being. Yeah. And so my both my first and only experience was one of violence mm. and uh since then i mean that was i'm 23 now so that was six years ago that was a <laughs> that's a lot to still be going through and i haven't been in a relationship or had sex with anybody since then um because i still am so damaged by the shame and how much my body is still holding that trauma and I think a lot of it had to do with the environment that I was in yeah definitely it, it's it's also crazy how like I don't know if physiologically is the right word or not but like your body can be saying this isn't right and mm -hmm. your, your brain's still catching up because being in the purity culture and stuff like or even like away from that, where it's like mm -hmm. there's purity culture and like everything outside of that is just like a revolt against purity culture. So it's like, mm -hmm. that's fine. Um, your body's like the first thing to let you know what's happening. Um, yeah. And it takes a while for your brain to, to, to catch back up and to process that. And it takes therapy and like, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, thank you for sharing that flower. I really appreciate your honesty i i definitely think the church one if you were socialized as a woman it is your job to keep men in check 
it is it is your job and that is like a foundation of victim blaming because you should you should mm-hmm. cover up you don't want to cause the men to stumble because men are visual creatures two we don't talk about consent because because in mm-hmm. their head if you're not having sex until marriage marriage yeah. is implied consent which is bs marriage is not consent there's One. still consent and marriage still yes consent. but they don't think they have to have the conversation because mm-hmm. to them that's what it is and it's just so untrue and it it all just creates this very unhealthy environment based in shame where if something does happen and you're a woman or you're socialized as a woman your instinct is to blame yourself a lot of times mm-hmm. and that's deeply problematic because you also that your worth is tied up in purity culture right like how much your worth is tied up in how pure you are in purity mm-hmm. culture yeah. and so that takes major hits on your self-esteem and like how you view yourself mm-hmm. and it's it's all just deeply troubling and you're not taught to be in tune with your body in a lot of ways because mm-hmm. you're taught to shut out parts of it and that further perpetuates the harm oh yeah it's ever more frustrating when you look at the church and you see how so many places won't allow uh like women to be pastors um they won't do that you see how a lot of churches reacted to the me too movement movement Mm -hmm. is still going on today and it's just like really like you don't see how you brought a lot of this on you've created a lot of this um out of touchness with our bodies and this ableism and just all of this stuff um it it just makes it even more frustrating uh yeah yeah, it's yeah here we go with the the mad rant version of this that uh, flower will start later um yeah well i think that's all the questions i have Uh, i think we have a question or two that people asked in advance since we couldn't have live questions. Okay. Yeah. Um, and Austin, if you already touched on one of these or we touched on it and you can say, I think we covered that. Um, a lot of people I've heard place the opposite extreme of purity culture to be hookup culture. Do you think that's fair? Hmm. I mean, no, I, I think that extremes are not, um, the way that we can really compare things. Uh, I think it's a lot, a lot more productive to compare things in the middle. So I think that um, purity culture is one end of the extreme. And then I think hookup culture is kind of the other end of the extreme. And both can be really damaging um, in the wrong hands with the wrong motivations. Um, I think that uh, the actual kind of opposite of purity culture is um, in some ways, like liberation and understanding that liberation doesn't just mean having sex with every single person that you ever see that you're ever attracted to, or even aren't attracted to. I think that liberation, um, includes choice. I think that that is, is something that is fundamental to liberation and freedom. Um, and when we are free to, to choose our own paths rather than having it be set for us, then we can actually make the decisions that work the best for us. I mean, I am, I feel like I'm a great example of this, of somebody who is very pro sexual liberation, but is not sexually active 
um, that is actually, you know, for all intents and purposes, abstinent. I don't know if that's always going to be the case. I can't tell you what is going to happen in a year, five years, probably not within the next two years, probably not until, you know, we have a vaccine for COVID-19, pretty much have no uh, physical contact with anyone right now, even the people that I just want to give a hug to. Um, but, but that's my choice right now. That, that, is, that is what I want right now. Yeah. And I feel like the opposite of purity culture is, is having the right to choose, which in, for that matter, that can look like hookup culture for you. If that is something that is healthy and something that you desire, um, for you, I think that it can be okay. Yeah. And probably somebody is going to fire me from a pastoral position for saying <laughs> that, but I don't, I don't think I that sex is bad. I don't think that sex outside of marriage is bad inherently. Yeah. I also don't think that abstinence is inherently good. I think that it depends on the person and it depends on your relationship with God. And I think it also depends on, on the person you're having sexual relationships with. Yeah. When, when I hear like hookup culture, I think of, and this is me definitely like projecting my own ideas of what I hear when I hear this, but I hear like guys just like hooking up with girls or whatever just for fun and they're like yeah it's whatever bye and they leave in the morning or whatever mm -hmm. but like so I, I when I think of opposites I really don't know what the answer is for that but I do think of like what is something that is good where is the good in both of those mm -hmm. things and it's in consent and self-love self-expression and um just like being able to express yourself in that way and like being in communication with people. That's the other one. Communication. Mm -hmm. Like, have those things, and that's that's good. We're from that place. And yes, people, Jesus's teachings can apply to this. Jesus isn't out of sex. Like, that's mm -hmm. he is a topic to talk about. And like the Bible is something that can be in this. Your Christianity can be in this. It doesn't have to be a side mm -hmm. of this. <clears throat> um, which is, it's just true. And when we look at Jesus, Jesus was someone who was, he asked for consent when talking to people and healing people, he was mm -hmm. gentle and kind. And like, you can look at all of those things. Um, I'm not, yeah. But so, yeah, I, I think the good is where there's the consent and the discussion, the, the communication. Um, and I, I don't really know where the opposite lies for that. Yeah, and I, I think, I mean, I think that the, that one of the parts of that is knowing your worth as a human being, mm -hmm. knowing on both sides, both of these kind of extremes, knowing that your worth as a human being is not dependent on your sexual desires or sexual actions. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that can be tied to both ends. I think that in purity culture, your worth is tied to not having sex. And I think in hookup culture, it's tied to being sexy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's good. Wow. That's great. Sarah, uh, do, you have, do you have any answers for that? You know, I... I thought I did, and then I heard what Flower said, and I'm just like, no, that's better. I don't, I don't need to say what I was going to say, because, like... Yeah. So valid. Yeah. Um... So other question, we sort of touched on it a little bit, but we can have a little more 
meat to it, I think. Um, is abstinence okay if I'm choosing to do it as my own way of honoring God? Hell yeah. I mean, of course it is. I don't know why, I'm not sure why that's a question. I, I am honestly kind of sad that that's a question, that that's like something that you're not sure about. Um, yeah. I think that that anything that is your commitment to God can be your way of honoring God. You know, we fast everything from chocolate to social media to I for Lent I gave up road rage like that. And I think that like those things aren't bad inherently, maybe road rage, but like chocolate isn't bad inherently. But I do think that like the way that you interact with the world is the root of what makes something good or bad. Yeah. And I think that that your relationship with God is so fundamental into the, into the way that you interact with things of the world. And I think that sex is one of those things that it's not something that is inherently bad or inherently good. We know that there are situations where it's bad and we know that there are situations where it's good. Um, but that doesn't mean that, that doing it is bad. That doesn't mean that not doing it is good um, and vice versa. You know, I think that you have to follow your own commitment to God. And I actually, I've been thinking about this a lot in relationship to other things. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine who hilariously actually knew when I was very, very young and had a conversation with him about how I thought that you shouldn't ever date somebody. I think it should go from friends to engaged. And like just how naive that thought was. <laughs> but I distinctly remember having that conversation with him. But now, you know, we've both grown up and found out that we're gay and also um, really passionate about God. And, but he's, he's side B. So he um, is committed to being abstinent and, and not being in gay relationships, um, but still is willing to claim the identity of being gay. And I was thinking about how I have the urge to like, liberate him from that but that's not that's not right and I feel like it's the same way like you don't we don't need to like liberate people who choose to be abstinent like that is that is their choice as much as it is somebody's choice to have sex like you your worth as a human being is not determined by whether or not you have sex or whether or not you're sexy or appealing or whatever yeah. it's not determined by that yeah. just flat out yeah I I think that's a great answer. I honestly don't have much to say to a <laughs> good answer. Uh, the only thing I, I do have is like to what you're saying about like wanting to liberate people. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it's ever our role to just like step into someone's life and be like, believe this, it'll be so much better. But we can put information in front of them and we can mm -hmm. be like, hey, I learned from this and this was really good for me. You don't have yeah. to do this was great for me, um, which is just a, a, a great opportunity that we all have to communicate in a way that's kind and gentle and not screaming at people's faces, which is sometimes necessary sometimes, not in this context, but screaming and flipping tables is necessary sometimes. Um, but yeah, no, I, I love that answer, Flower. Um, Sarah, do you have anything to say to that or, you know, same page? with? Yeah, I mean, I think Flower said it really well. I just, I tend to think that if your faith is actually about having a personal relationship with God, then why are we trying to dictate what different people's personal relationships look like? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, and so if for you, if for you honoring God and having that relationship with him, if you feel that he's calling you to be absent, cool, go for it. As long as you are aware 
that that is something you are doing because you feel like God wants you to do it and not because anyone else told you to do it or told you you were bad mm-hmm. if you didn't do it. Yes. Yeah. Or that you were good if you did yeah. it, you know. As long as it's your decision, I'm here for it, whatever it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that was awesome, y'all. I, I know we could continue talking, and if there are any comments, I will be excited to talk to those. Yes. Uh, but thank you all for watching. Um, and thank you for the questions in the Q&A segment. Um, great questions. And thank you, Flower, so much for sharing your story, um, being vulnerable as always, um, and honest. It's just always great talking to you. Um, and thank you, Sarah, for being a great co-host as well. Not a guest. Um, with that, um, we have our next episode. It will be on July 21st at 7 p.m. And our topic will be theology. Um, I have some ideas of who I want to talk to. I really hope it works out. Um, if it does, it's going to be incredible. Um, so, yeah, excited to see you all then. Um, and thank you for watching. Bye. Bye, friends. Bye, everyone. Bye.